Every single day I feel it. Yeah. Artlist I.O. today another great guest to share the ingredients that have has gone into making her who she is we have shu simon in the building shu has a phd in biophysical chemistry and a molecular structure from mit and nmba in global business her tedx talk work at your resonant frequency came out in 2022 she currently serves as chief operating officer of Anozo technologies inc and speaks and consults on using science to make the world a better place shu welcome to the show thank you so much Hey, so let me let me just speak to those listening right now. Um, if you're listening to this, and I just want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for your commitment. If you're a repeat listener or watcher of the show, however you're consuming this content, and if you're new here, I want to welcome you. Um, you know, we are just creating unstoppable people to showing them that the journey to success that's often invisible is filled with ups and downs and turns and twists and discouragements and upsets, but it's also filled with success if you persist. And that's what we're doing here. So shoot. I want to start to show up the right way today before we go down any rabbit holes because I got a lot of questions for you. Um, and that's with the question, what are you made of? All right. I am made of elements, three main elements, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Then there are a couple of other elements that are thrown in, and they're all mixed up in however orientation they want to be mixed up. And is that what makes like some people have to wear glasses and others not and some people's hair red and some people not have hair and uh, different levels of carbon and hydrogen and, and oxygen? <laughs> like, is that, is that what it is? I'd say different arrangements. I wouldn't say different levels. Yeah. Okay. So All different carbon, arrangements. Hydrogen, hydrogen and oxygen, you just rearrange it. Oh my goodness. Did you ever get confused in biophysical chemistry or molecular structure? Are you kidding? All the time. Yeah, you know, I, I tell you what, what I found out, and I, I've been studying quantum physics lately and, and resonance and quantum mechanics, and I go as deep as I take the time to look up words when I pass them. So in other words, learning how to learn to me is one of the most important things and powerful things that we can do. I don't know why I'm starting with this right now, but based on your answer, so this is where I'm going with this. I, I realized that insecurity stem from a lack of knowledge. And... If you're not going as fast as you want to go or getting the results that you want to get, it's just because you don't know something. And if you know it, you're just not doing it right the way you know it. So what I found out was, okay, then that, that's the case. Learning is one of the most important skills and learning how to learn, I should say. Learning how to learn is one of the most important skills we can do. So when it comes to biophysical chemistry, molecular structure, and the things that you've been studying and have studied, did you notice that if you would just stop when you didn't understand something instead of passing it? that it made you learn better? Oh, I think you're talking about learning slowly. <laughs> so, well, yeah. slowly to speed up though, isn't it? Yes, yes, exactly. So a uh, little known fact, I'm gonna start with my fun fact right now. I am also a motorcycle performance rider. Oh boy. So, yeah. I and did not so, know that. Yes, and um, one of the things that we say you know, on the track is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And it's exactly the same way with learning. So you've got to cover the fundamentals. You've got to figure out what the context is first. And then once you've gone through that, at whatever pace you need, which is usually slower than the outside world will tell you that you should need, that's when you can really ramp up. 
that's when you can really speed up your, your progress. Slow is smooth and smooth gets you fast. I love that formula. That's a great formula. Uh, yeah. So, all right, take us back. I want to know more about where you started from the beginning. First of all, your name XU is pronounced shoe. Shoe Simon. Where did that come from? Where did you come from? What's your story? Everybody's got a story. What's your story? All right. I came from Texas. I grew up in Texas and I am the daughter of two first generation immigrants from Poland. Now, the thing about Poland is um, there's, depending on where you come from in Poland, there can be an approved book of names and approved spellings, and you must name your children something from that book. And you've got a lot of choices, but there is a finite number of choices. And one of the very common things that Polish immigrants to the U.S. do is that they will just throw away that book and do something completely different. And that's what my parents did with me. So they named me Sharotka, which is the Polish word for Edelweiss. And Edelweiss is a flower that grows in the Alps. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a flower child. Now, as you might imagine, in Texas, Sharotka was not something that was very easy to pronounce. So um, I got a lot of different nicknames. Uh, Shalana, Sharoka was the most common. Whoa, 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 whoa. Which one? Sharoka. It's kind of like my last name, Scirocco. Yes, yeah. And, you know, that one, that's pronounceable, and it's a perfectly fine name. And I didn't mind it whatsoever. But that all changed when I met a new teacher. And what I mean by new is I have an older brother, and my older brother kind of guided my way through school. And so most of my teachers had taught him. They had heard my name before they were prepared to meet me. And they had some version of what they would call me. Sixth grade came and I had a brand new, never taught in the district before, math teacher. So she was calling roll. And when she got to my name, she said, shh, shh, shh. And I raised my hand and said, that's me. (laughs) And in fact, I said in my best Southern accent, uh, my name is Sharotka. But you can call me a lot of different things. I I go by a lot of different pronunciations. And so this teacher said, What's your nickname? And I said, no nickname, but I accept a lot of different pronunciations. And then she said, you mean to tell me that you've been on this planet for 10 years with that name and you haven't come up with a nickname? And I said, very cheerfully, yes, ma'am. Now, the next thing that happened is she banged her fist on her desk and she yelled out, you have a nickname, you're holding it out, you're going to tell it to me right now. (laughs) So I was terrified (laughs) and I knew I had to come up with something. So what came out of my mouth was shoe. And from that moment on, everyone called me shoe, except for her. She never (laughs) apologized, by the way. Now, what do you think? Do you think like as a kid coming up with a name that's very difficult for people to pronounce and enunciate like what, what do you think that that's trauma that happens to kids like because my last name was a pain in the butt all the time and that's why I, i'm called c-rock by the way um mike was name. easy my last name my last name was tough not my first name do you think there's something that makes kids tougher or do you think it makes it harder for kids and they have some lingering trauma from it <laughs> i'm sure that depends on the kid so uh if you would ask my parents they they argued about do I want to do, do they want their kid to have a normal name? Do they want their kid to blend in? Or do they want a kid who takes some notice, 
who takes some getting used to, who has a filter um, before you can really get close. And they chose to make it just a little bit tough to really get to know me. And not only that, to, to, to create somebody that stands out to be that one. That's where that one came from, stand out. I don't want to blend in and be Joe Smith. No offense to any Joe Smiths out there, by the way. You, you guys have to have, you Joe Smiths out there have to have something that's going to make you stand out or you're going to blend in. But I'm all about standing out, so I love it. All right, so then from there, were you always an, a, a uh, child that was going to be on their way to getting a, like a really high-level education? Were you challenged in elementary and high school? Uh, was it easy for you? Like, what? Take me to that I point. happened to do well at school right from the very beginning. Now, again, as the child of immigrants, I, my first language was Polish, and then I learned English through simple osmosis. Uh, and what tends to happen with bilingual children is they don't present well when they're doing reading or writing examinations at this, or at least not at very, very early on, because they have more information that they're processing than, than everyone else. So when I got to kindergarten, I was in middle of the road kindergarten. Absolutely. And then to perhaps everybody's surprise, once I just figured it out, I went super fast. I just shot through academia. Whatever they were looking for at school, I had it. And how did you choose biophysical chemistry and molecular structure as your go-tos to study when you got into secondary education? Ah, well, that was not always the choice. So the choice was biology. And then in biology, you can get more and more specialized. And especially when you have a PhD, you specialize in something that is very, very small. And so um, I specialized in a form of biology that biophysical structure, biophysical chemistry and molecular structure was just the best description of it. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so then from there, I got to ask you questions from your studies, um, because there's a lot of talk right now about UAPs, UFOs, and different things, right? And right. then different, also different dimensions. So I'm going to go off the tracks, railroad tracks here, and go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. But I'd love to hear, with your education and with your understanding of things, like what are your thoughts on all that? Ah, uh, so I can tell you what I can talk about. What I can talk about. Wait, is, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah? If there's anything that I'm, I shouldn't be asking, you can kick me under the table. Just kick me. <laughs> hey, I'm perfectly comfortable with saying no. Okay. All right. So one of the things about science is we're always pushing the limits of understanding. And what's important about pushing the limits of understanding is knowing where that limit is. So with science, we're really interested in in what is on the documented side of understanding. What have multiple studies, multiple people, like what is what is the consensus? of what is detectable. And then once you go beyond that, once you go into the mysteries, that's a mystery. That's still curiosity. You can still come up with hypotheses. I'm not gonna come up with a hypothesis that's better than anyone else's. But I can tell you, you know, the documentation, the documentation of UFOs is still in that gray area. I'm not gonna be able to tell you the answer. Makes sense. Yeah, it really does. It makes sense. And then do you think there's a chance that it's just technology that has been created that's beyond a lot of our understanding and they just don't let us hear about it yet because it would, could, could blow our minds, number one, could affect 
economy, number two, and it also could affect people's belief systems. So that would not surprise me if there is some technology that is out there that is under wraps. Yeah. Okay. There are, so even in the corporate world, there's corporate, corporate espionage. There are always secrets. There are always things that are hidden. There are always things that are you know, specifically designed to not be detected. And this could be one of them. And have you gotten into studying quantum at all or looking into you know it or understanding that was, it? That was, not my, uh, that was not my specialty. So tell me about quantum. Well, the thing is, is that has, you know, when we're talking about resonant frequency, work at your resonant frequency, and you're talking about your TEDx uh, talk, and you're going into that, you know, obviously quantum starts to get into frequencies and energies and, and starting to talk about really tiny, 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 tiny particles and how they react when they're paid attention to, when they're not paid attention to. Um, so I, I just started thinking about the quantum when you talk about, you're talking about resonant frequency. What was your TEDx talk really getting into? Like what, can you, can you give us some update on that or info on that? Yes. The idea of my TEDx talk is when you're not getting the results you want, often people will tell you, and here I'm talking about the outside world, will say, well, you're not putting enough in. You get out what you put in. And so if you're not getting out enough, that means you need to put in more. And I am reminding people that there are certain systems that don't work that way. And these are systems, these are two body systems for the, for the most part, but where what is important is the interaction between two or more parts. And that interaction has a, goes at a frequency. And so these are things like machines, like a pendulum or a spring. And so that frequency, if you hit that frequency right, then you end up just you know, creating a lot of energy. That frequency is what really does the work. And you get just as poor results if that frequency is too low and if that frequency is too high. And so if all you're ever told is put more, more is better, and you might actually be going farther away from the goal by putting more in when really the system just might want less. It's that less that's really gonna catch that frequency that does the magic. Yeah, and this works with people. Interaction oh, yeah. with people, an interaction with a, a person and a, a machine, like a laptop or any, but, but at the end of the day, so many people are out there thinking that they're not doing enough. And then sometimes they just throw in the towel because they're like, oh, I'm going as hard as I can, or I just don't want to go any harder. And, and then they miss out on this very, very important philosophy. It's not a philosophy. It's a fact, right? That you just have to resonate on the same frequency as what you're trying to accomplish. There's a formula for things. Yes. And you just have to find the formula. And, you know, one thing for me was as a leader in organizations, I've been in an entrepreneur and leadership role for 20 years or so. I used to, I used to really ride people hard and drive and drive and drive. And some people reacted great to that because they were resonating on that. And then others just couldn't take it. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll just deal with the people that can take it. That's what we'll have around here. And that's not the answer either. So. I started realizing, is this why that, you know, does this have something to do with personality assessments as well? Does, does resonance come into play when you're talking about, you know, like a disc assessment and understanding how to talk and communicate to that person? Because that's a way to, to resonate. That's about the same way to think about it. And when you're talking and you're talking about tiny particles, I'm a chemist, I'm a biophysical chemist. I think about tiny particles and how they're moving all the time. 
the way I imagine it, because I can't see a tiny particle. These particles are much smaller than the wavelength of light. I'm never going to see it with my eyes. So I just have to see it internally. And the way I see it internally is not that different from the way I imagine people. So there are people doing their things, there are electrons doing their things. And different electrons that are in a different environment are going to act differently, just like different people who are in a different environment are going to respond differently. And if we're going to go back to carbon and hydrogen and oxygen, and they're all rearranged in different uh, different orientations, when you're talking about you know, driving someone hard and seeing whether they can take it, so different people have different needs for, for example, rest. What happens when we sleep? Well, everything gets repaired. How much damage gets done? The more damage gets done, the more sleep you need to repair. So if you're working at somebody's resonant frequency and that frequency happens to be high, great, they're not necessarily going to need as much rest. But if you're working beyond somebody's resonant frequency and their resonant frequency is lower, it might look like they're lazy when really they're just trying their best to keep up. It's doing a lot of damage and they need to go away and do some repair so they can keep interacting with you. So are the best communicators and leaders ones that are able to resonate on the most, uh, I guess, uh, variable frequencies with people? Yes, absolutely. The best leaders, the best, um, the best influencers can dial that, have a dial that they can react, they can understand what it is that they're dealing with. They can detect that frequency and they, they give that frequency so that the interaction has the most energy possible. And does that happen through listening, active listening and, and empathy? Yes, it does. It happens through detection. So one way to detect is active listening. And yes, absolutely, empathy is key. So what empathy does is it allows you to change your, here we're going into physics, it's going to change your frame of reference. The world looks different from behind your eyeballs than from behind anyone else's eyeballs. And it's the same with math. Math looks different if you are in a moving frame of reference versus if you are in a fixed frame of reference. So if you can imagine how to get behind somebody else's eyeballs and figure out what the world looks like from them, then you are much better able to influence them, to work with them in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah. So I read a book and I forget what it was. And I, I heard this word pan determinism. And instead of like, just from your point of view, and then not just from the point of view of the other one, but also taking a point of view from above and look at the whole playing field. And I don't know why I just thought of that because I was thinking about different perspectives, I guess, different, pers you know, um, than your own. And there's, there's also a danger in, I think, and I, I'd love to get your take on this, Taking, looking at from some other somebody else's point of view in a way. Let me let me work through this because I'm trying to. I have a lot of things computing right now. Um, looking at from like getting somebody else's feeling, and and I guess there's a difference between sympathy and empathy, but but feeling like someone else and then end up affecting your resonant your your frequency. I'm sorry, um, because you're taking on theirs. Because I have this. I have one of my core values is vibes matter and emotions are contagious. And so there's a danger also in, in taking on that perspective, I think, sometimes. I don't know. 
What are your thoughts? You follow me? Was that a clear question? I, it might be. We're getting deep so here. I'm gonna, so. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what my thoughts are and you can um, get me back on the rails if, yeah. if I go off. All right, so I'm first going to talk about what in, um, in business we would call that the 30,000 foot view. So that if you see the overview, then you see more, you see wider than what the people on the ground see, the, the, the boots on the ground. And so we pay the people who have the 30,000 foot view more because we value that more. But what's key is that is not what I would call the right perspective because the leaders, the people who have the really broad vision still need information from the boots on the ground, people who are actually doing the work and actually making the changes. And if leaders don't believe in the value of the people who are closer to the ground and what they see, then they're completely going to miss the mark. They're just going to be blinded or distracted by that 30,000 foot view. So both of those views are really important. And it's how those views interact that where, where that magic happens. So yeah, got it. Yeah. So some of the, some of the most, the, the top CEOs that I've ever talked to that have had the most success their, their thing was that they would go and talk to the people at the different levels of the organization, all the way down to the entry level, and talk to them and listen to them and gather data and information to help them make that pan determinant, you know, help their pan determinism. I would call it pan, meaning above and over top of that 30,000 foot view. So, yeah, okay, I got you. That makes sense. So, then what, at your position as Chief Operating Officer, CEO of Nozo Technologies, what do you guys do, first of all? And then what is your main focus? All right. So I can talk a little bit about Inozo Technologies. Inozone is ozone spelled backwards. And ozone, we've all heard about the ozone layer. It absorbs UV rays. It protects the environment. And so what we have done is we have figured out a way to harness ozone. So we've put it in a bottle. And what it does is it is a sanitizer. So it can kill um, microbes. So this is this is it, what's really brilliant about this is it does not leave any residue. Ozone is a molecule that is unstable. And so what that means is you use it, it goes in, it kills what it's got to kill, and then it turns you know, right back into oxygen, the molecular oxygen that we would breathe. So it's a very eco-friendly technology. And you know, what we're doing is we are developing and we are releasing that. Wow, it turns back into oxygen. And now, if you, does it access as a degreaser too? Can you spray it into the cracks in the kitchen and then you can get into the cracks and clean all the stuff that's in the cracks? You know what? So here I'm going to keep you back in the lane. Let's talk about me and let's not talk about the, uh, the company itself. Okay. So the company is, <laughs> is uh, it's something that I'm really involved in and it's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the marketing budget. That's gotcha, talk gotcha. About I, all that makes of sense. the things that it can yeah, do. Yeah, we're, 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 we're on the same page. So when, you, when you're going out and speaking and coaching, what is your main focus with that? Is that is what your TEDx talk was about, about working at your resonant frequency? Is that what you lean into with your coaching and speaking? Or do you get deeper into other things with, with your clients or your audience? So to a first approximation, I'm looking at that resonant frequency. But I'm looking at the resonant frequency between leadership and you know, the people that they are leading. So both parties need to ha find some way to work together. And the, so 
it depends on what I see. What is the issue? Who is being stubborn? And who might benefit from adjusting? More often than not, it's leadership that has the most influence. It's leadership that, that has the best power to be able to adjust and to get things done. Unfortunately, a lot of times leadership comes from this idea of individual competence. And so this idea that, I, in fact, I think I heard you know, the former C-Roc used to have this idea, only dealing with those things that serve what you think is the right you know, frequency or the right answer. And that's definitely a way to do it. There's, there's a way to just to, to filter and find what it is that you need. That tends to get expensive. Like if you need something very specific, then you're going to pay that very specific price. You're going to have to compete for everything and everyone else that needs that very specific thing. If on the other hand, you have some flexibility and you accurately see what it is you have and you accurately see where you would like to go and you can figure out how to bring what you have along with you to where you want to go, that's where the real value comes in. And when you go into an organization, how do you get them to be open to listening to you and change not just the leadership or not just the person that hired you, but even the, let's say the lower level uh, positions, how do you get them to trust you and open up to you to be, to be able to, to learn and grow? Oh, I just wait until they are. So by the time they call me, there is some sort of frustration. And you're absolutely right. Everybody says, ah, you need to fix everyone else. And that's fine. I listen to them. So a lot of how I build trust is just is listening and understanding what's going on. And I have seen it from both sides, from the leadership side and from the individual contributor side. So I usually get what the frustration is. And then I get a commitment. Are you willing to change something that you do? Are you willing to take control of the only thing that you can take control of, which is you, and change one variable and just see what happens? Yeah, well, I talked about core values, vibes matter, emotions are contagious is one of them. The other one is take 100% responsibility and leadership starts with me. These are core values that I established for myself and my businesses. And one of the things about that is, is that when you go into an organization, you're consulting or, uh, and, and people are complaining, they're frustrated and they're pointing a finger everywhere. You know where the problem is to start, right? Immediately. Is that's, and that's a question you just asked because you can't accomplish anything until people are really willing to take control or take responsibility, which gives them control of an outcome. And, uh, you know, I love that you said that now, where, where's the vision from here? Where are you taking this? What, like, where are you going to go next? What do you see in the future for yourself? The, so first, I'm going to talk about the problem that I would like to solve, sure. and then that way it might be understandable that the, the world is going to be different without this problem. So one of the problems that I see is, in fact, within education itself, and I've got a long history with education. I love education. I love being a student, and I love teaching. Now, that happens to work for me. I know that most people didn't love school and didn't work as well at school. I wouldn't say as hard. I would say as well at school as I did. So I got very lucky because my resonant frequency just worked with scholarship. What I do see 
is that there's almost this requirement to have an education to have a good job. And then the way, the way higher education tends to work is there is a value on having a very specific field, which means you work in that field, you work at that field, and you do individual discovery. And by the time you're a tenured professor, you've never had a job outside of academia. And here you are training people for this requirement so that they can have a job. And what tends to happen is there's just this little missing element of what you actually need to have a job versus what you need to know. And that's something different, and that's something fixable, and that's something that I'm trying to put back into the education system. One way to do it is through education itself. Another way to do it, and the way that I'm trying to do it, is in the job market. So what tends to happen is people have, are very highly educated, they have a lot of skills, and they go into the job market and something's just missing. And again, as we talked about, when people say, well, something's missing, this is not working out well for me, the answer is, well, just go be better, go do more. Yep. And in the business world, you tend not to have that luxury of just going to do more. You've got a lot of variables. You've got a lot of things moving, and you've got to do a lot of things on a budget. And so that's when people call me. There's a system in the workforce that isn't quite working out. And what I have is I look at that, that resonance. I look at what is not interacting well, and usually it's just a minor tweak that gets everything to fall into place. Gotcha. So you're working with the people that are looking for the jobs, not the people that are looking for people that work. I'm looking, I'm looking both? for both. both. So, a okay. lot of, so if you're looking sometimes, for jobs. Sometimes job seekers will seek you out for help? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So but, some of the, it is, yeah, is finding and working in the workplace. And some of it is finding the technical expertise and getting that technical expertise to work in the workplace. Gotcha. Okay. So guys, check out. Shoe fits, xufits.com. That's Shoe Simon's website. You can go check out everything about her, the services and what everything she does, and also where else you can hear her and her TEDx talk, which is work at your present your resonant frequency. Shoe, thank you so much for coming on today. It was great to learn more about you and and how you came up with your nickname or how it was given to you, or you you created it. <laughs> thank you so much for being here, Shoe. Rock, it was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening here on the What He Made Up Show in That One Studios. It's your boy, C-Rock. And until next time, be that one. Work it, work. I can leave it out of chances, make it certain.